0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Mini Break, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel production, your daily podcast for storylines, results, and controversy in the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, December 11th, and we're here to start off our series of players to watch in 2020. Exciting stuff for sure. With me is my Wednesday regular, and I must say very fitting for the player we'll be discussing in depth today. It's Matt Stikoyak. Matt, how's it going, Jamie?
1: What's going on, man? I feel like it's been a little while, but um, yeah, definitely gonna enjoy my little reprieve from Gruskin here. So uh, th- this should be a fun yeah. one. Yeah,
0: I think honestly, we might have to go all the way back to Davis Cup to find the last mini break that was just you and yeah, me. So yeah. um, it's it's been a couple of weeks, no doubt um i'm gonna give the listeners a quick spiel here on our players to watch little series mini series whatever you want to call it essentially for um some time now right of course we're in more of the off season not a lot of tournaments happening not just results to run through all the time so a little bit of a dead space for us but honestly it's great Um, allows us to be a little more creative and think about you know hey what are we really what are we really excited about what did we see in 2019 um kind of get the bigger scope so i'm excited for that for sure What we're going to be doing over the next few mini breaks, over the next couple weeks for sure, is talk about players. We're going to zone in on one player per pod um, and say, hey, you know what? What did we like about this person? So there's a few different things, right? We go, what did did we like about them in 2019? What did we dislike about them or their play or whatever happened in 2019? What needs to improve um, for them to be successful in 2020? Um, and then what's sort of the best case, worst case floor or ceiling, however when you want to look at it, for 2020? Um, of course, all of this is preceded by us just talking about generally why they're an interesting player to watch, uh, but that's kind of the format that we're going to be walking through each time. So those five key questions are what we're going to go- talk about today. And as I mentioned, it's very fitting that Matt's on today because the first player we're going to break down is your guy himself, Matteo Berrettini.
1: My man, my man. I love it. I'm always down to talk about Berrettini, man. You know that.
0: I do. So very fitting indeed. But yeah, I mean, let's hop into it. I'll I'll start off just generally speaking why Matteo Berrettini is an interesting one to watch. I think specifically in 2019, a guy who, who we saw just see an exponential rise. Um, you know, in skill and notoriety and experience, right? So that automatically makes him exciting. And, and of course, too, just the fact that he's young, right? We, there's so much left to see of Matteo Berrettini. Um, very fun to watch, right? His game style. He's a huge guy and he's a tank out there. 23-year-old just absolutely smacking the ball. That in and of itself makes it interesting. And to be able to see his success... Get himself and sneak, I'll say the word sneak, you can correct me if you if you disagree, but sneak into that ATP Finals, putting himself in in contest with some of the big names, a really impressive overall, um, all things considered, 2019. That's what makes him really interesting for me.
1: Yeah, no question, man. I mean, he, he did kind of sneak in there. I mean, a lot of people yeah. weren't, weren't aware that he was going to make that World Tour Finals um, as that eighth player. But, um, for me there, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why he's so interesting, right? Number one, obviously just being, he's my guy, man. I mean, this is a guy (laughs) that I, I, I noticed this guy, man, back when he was ranked, you know, in the two hundreds in the world and he was playing qualifiers, he was playing challengers. Um, nobody knew who he was. And I watched him and I was like, you know what, man, this guy's young. I really like what I see here. And, And I just saw enormous potential. Um, He he was a nobody. Nobody believed in him. I tried to talk to people and say, hey, keep your eye on Matteo Berrettini. People would laugh me off. um, You know, and now look where he is. So, like you mentioned, Jamie, it's been an exponential rise for this guy. Two years ago, at this time, so in early December 2017, he was 135 in the world. That was his ranking. Um, And then if we fast forward a little bit, so one year ago in 2018 in December, he was 54 in the world. So let's bring it full circle all the way now in 2019 at the end of the season, he's top 10. He's number eight in the world. So we're talking about a guy that's 23 years old. He has his entire career ahead of him, but the way that he was able to come really kind of out of nowhere, you know, for a lot of people, he's now definitely a household name. I mean, anybody that follows tennis is fully aware of Matteo of Berrettini and just the threat that he can be at every single tournament.
0: Definitely. Well, credit, credit where credit's due. You've been talking this guy up for a long time, so definitely have to give you the shout out on that one. Um, when you talk about his upside, right, there are so many things you can talk about, but let's specifically nail down some of the things you saw, particularly throughout the 2019 season that really excited you. So I guess if you had to nail it down to a few things, what did you like most about what you saw from Mateo this year?
1: Well, there's just a couple of moments, really, that stick out to me throughout the year that I kind of want to hit on. Um, number one, just being when he wins his, uh, the first clay court tournament for him of the year. He obviously won one last year. Um, but this year in Budapest, um, he comes off, you know, he, he was struggling a bit early in the year. He's able to win that tournament. Um, and then the very next week in Munich, come back and final the Munich tournament, and barely lose that match uh, to Christian Garen uh, in 7-6 in the third set. He was nearly, you know, a couple of points from winning back-to-back titles on the clay. Um, so that was kind of the first part of the year that really stuck out to me that I was super excited about. Um, but then after that, we got to fast forward to the grass court season. So he, the, the first grass court tournament of the year in Stuttgart, Germany, Yeah. Uh, Berrettini comes in, and he takes out FAA in the final to win that tournament. And I was watching that whole event, and I just realized, I was like, man, this guy's game translates to all surfaces. You mm-hmm. know, he had won multiple clay court events. We knew he could play on hard courts. But grass is always that surface where it's like, you know, talking about an all-around player, can they play on grass? And and when Berrettini won that tournament to take out FAA in the final in Stuttgart, I was like, okay, you know, he's really coming on. This guy can play on every single surface. Um, And then finally, obviously, you got to go to the U.S. Open, right, where he makes the semifinals. Nobody was expecting him to get to the final four there, you know, myself included. I didn't think he was going to make the semifinals. Um, You know, he has a fantastic run. Um, You know, takes out Andre Rublev, Gaël Monfils in the round Mm -hmm. of sixteen, and then the quarterfinals, um, obviously, and then runs into Rafa Nadal in the semis, which, you know, we know how that ended up for him. But those are just some moments as I look back throughout 2019, where I'm like, okay, these are moments that I really, really liked and just super positive, uh, you know, going into 2020 for him.
0: Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. And I think I want to just real quickly go back specifically to that transition you know, across surfaces, particularly the one from clay to grass, which we know is so hard on a lot of people. I mean, you're absolutely yep. right. We have seen him. We had seen him already have some success, um, of course, on a surface like clay. But it was incredibly impressive, like you mentioned, to go and grab that title in Stuttgart. Let's also talk about the run that he had in that tournament outside. Of course, he had that great win over FAA 13-11 in the second set breaker to win it. Also in that tournament though, he beats Struf, Hatchinov Kudla, and Kyrgios. Yeah. To get that grass score I mean, this guy, I mean, that's a phenomenal tournament. Of course, we're not gonna, you know, spend just talking about this on, on one tournament, right? But very impressive to go and do that immediately. That's that was his first that was, that was his first moment. tournament after the French. Yeah. That yeah. Was that was, a was big the first tournament for him. after the French. Yeah, and then ultimately, right, he, he carries it over into the hard courts. Um, like you said, has that great run to the semis at the U.S. Open. So those are a couple of the things, completely agree with you there, that, that I really saw and was like, wow, this guy is for real. Um, let's flip it a little bit, though. Um, talk about potentially some of the negatives uh, that we saw in 2019. going to go ahead and open it up to you as well on this one to start.
1: Yeah, so you know, we can pinpoint things, you know, about his his tennis game, um, you know, that maybe need improvement. I think we're gonna do that here in a little bit. So again, I'm gonna talk about some moments. Um and mm-hmm. really just the the whole beginning of the year in twenty nineteen, he really struggled. He was struggling to win matches leading up to the Australian Open. He drew Stefano Tsitsipas in the first round. In Melbourne. So obviously um, he went out there. That was a tough, tough draw, really, to be completely honest. Um, You know, so a first round exit. And then really after that, he didn't see a whole lot of success. He played a bunch of tournaments, but he was struggling to find wins, Um, you know, heading into Indian Wells. He lost a match to Sam Querrey in the first round there um, in three sets. And he actually entered a challenger. So he had to, you know, kind of drop down to that challenger level because his confidence was low. He wasn't winning matches. He wasn't feeling good. Um, So that was something that was you know, for me, a bit alarming. I was like, okay, you know, I was really expecting him to come out and, you know, at least show a little bit better than he did. And to have to drop back to the challenger level, um, you know, that, that was a slight red flag. And I didn't know how his year was going to kind of go um, at that point. Now, if we're looking past that again, um, the clay court season I thought was great. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to hit on anything there. But then again, um, you know, after after Wimbledon, you know, leading into the U.S. Open, obviously he had a great run, um, but he, you know, I think he was injured a little bit after the grass court season, but um, he played one tournament in Cincinnati, lost to um, Lundero there in the first round at Cincy. So, you know, that was kind of a puzzling loss, you know, on a mm-hmm. hard court, a surface that we know he's good on going into the U.S. Open. I was like, ooh, you know, something something may be up with Berrettini here. He's not feeling quite right. And at that point I thought, okay, 2019 could kind of go maybe a little South. Uh, But then of course he was able to turn it around and end the year. Great. So, you know, that false alarm was just that it was a false alarm, but those were a couple of moments that really stuck out to me again, kind of reflecting on the year where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not loving this right now from him.
0: That's fair. No, that's fair. And I think too, especially with some of these guys really, you can pinpoint certain moments, and I'll share my couple of moments here in a sec. But I think for me, it's just the general air of consistency, right? Um, that's what we want to see from him. And, of course, we'll get into this a little bit uh, when we go to our next questions, talking about what we're thinking about 2020 and what needs to improve there. But really, it's as simple as that, right? You need to have those consistent results. I'll take it back to the to the clay court season, for example. I mean, we're talking about the French Open, he loses in straight sets in the second round to Casper rude when he's a seed. You know, that's, that's kind of disappointing. Right. And I think another one, and this is much less so, um, but I think something that maybe psychologically I hope doesn't bother him is both of his deep runs in the majors. So Wimbledon, when he ended up going against Federer, a quick uh, shout out to myself, I saw that match in person, great time. Uh, (laughs) But when he had that deep run in Wimbledon, and then of course, when he had the deep run in the U S open, As soon as he got to the last stage, right, where he's facing off against the big name, whether it was Federer or Nadal in both of these cases, a straight sets loss. Um, The Nadal one a bit better. The Federer one, he was never in that match. Um, And so that's just kind of a next step for him, and we'll get into it a little bit. But something that I didn't dislike or that I didn't like, excuse me, that I did dislike was as soon as he got to the stage against the big guy, it wasn't like, oh, it's a close match and he lost. He got routed. Um and so that was unfortunate to see. Like I said, he stepped it up a little bit from, from Wimbledon. Wimbledon he lost to Federer one, two and two. US Open is still straight sets, but you know, six, four, and one. So a routine loss. Um just kind of tells me that he's not quite at that top peak level yet, which we know. I mean, he's 23 and he's just now really bursting onto the scene. Um, like we've said that exponential rise, but ultimately that to me, I don't like the fact, or I didn't like the fact to see like, Oh, he's doing great. And then, Oh, he runs up against a big name and didn't even really get a chance to put up a fight.
1: Yeah, I tried to forget about that match, man. You brought it up. The reason why I didn't bring that up is because I that I erased that one from my mind. That's tough. No, um obviously that Wimbledon match, you were there, I watched it. Um that that was a tough one. So mm-hmm. obviously that's that's definitely one of those moments throughout the year where it was like, "Ooh. Um, you know, not exactly what we were looking for out of him at, at that moment in time, for sure."
0: Yeah. Well, it, I mean, in that case, let's get a little more specific with it then. You know, what particularly needs to improve. Yeah. For Matteo Berrettini and what what needs to happen for 2020 to be a success?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think if we're looking at his tennis game specifically, um, obviously we're, we're going to point to his backhand. So that that's going to be, you know, one of his major weaknesses. I think guys have been able to expose that. He does have good variety. Um, he'll slice the backhand, which I do like, um, but it's just not a shot that, that is really a threat. It's not a weapon. He uses it more defensively, um, the top spin backhand. So to me, that's something that he can really improve. Um, and if he can kind of kind of add that tool into his bag um, that's going to help him out quite a bit and then obviously on top of that I just say his movement overall so you mentioned he's a big boy I mean 6'5 about 210 pounds he's an absolute tank like you talked about Jamie but if, if you want to be a consistent top 10 player and contend for grand slams Moving on the court is so important. We know that. I mean, that is a critical, critical attribute that you have to have. And he just, he's not there right now. Um, I would say that his movement is a bit of a deficiency. And some of the top-level guys are going to be able to, uh, to expose that. So when it comes to his tennis game, I think... The backhand, for one, and his movement are the two main areas that he needs to improve. Um, if he kind of wants to you know, take his game into that next next level, into the top five of the world, and then contend for, for slams, he's got to do that.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I'll start at the backhand as well. I mean, I, maybe I'm less, slightly less of a critic on his backhand than, than you were, but I saw some—not to say that you were only negative on it. This has just happens to be the topic at the moment— I will say I saw some great things off the backhand side from Matteo this year. Like you said, that variety is phenomenal when he decides to use it. And I think, you know, this is maybe not an exact apples-to-apples comparison, but someone like a Kyrios, right, who has an explosive forehand, um, but then a bit of a different backhand. Obviously, I would still put Kyrgios in a a much more unconventional camp than the Matteo Berrettini backhand. But Kyrgios still, he doesn't really allow his backhand to get picked on that much. It's a compact swing, and he's still able to get some offense out of it as well. I think there's potential for that route on Matteo Berrettini's side as well. I don't think that's out of the question at all.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I'd love to see, obviously. I think right now, like you mentioned, guys can't really attack that curios backhand as much as they can Berrettini's right now. I, I see that being the main difference is Berrettini's backhand will break down. A bit if you if you if you hit there enough and really expose him on the court, his backhand will break down. Kyrgios is much less likely to do that. Uh, but I think if he does go back to work, you know, in this offseason and really, you know, pay attention to that, I think you're right. I think that's an area that he can improve and you know end up having kind of a, a Kyrgios like backhand where maybe he's not gonna just rip off, you know, screaming winners from his backhand. But it's not going to be a huge deficiency either. I-, I agree.
0: Sure. Yeah. No. I think it's great. And I think one thing he does have in his bag more than someone like Akira is well, maybe not more, but at least he you will use it more. Um, that slice. But Berrettini's yes. slice is very good, especially you know when he decides to get aggressive with the slice coming behind it. Like you said, he's a big body. Um, you know he can improve on that transition game, of course, right? Like those are all things that he can use to his advantage. He also has phenomenal touch. I mean, you'll see him pull some yeah. drop shots off the backhand side as well. Um, so he's got plenty of options, plenty of tools in the bag. It's it's just sort of sharpening them um, and really gearing up for the next season because right, you don't want to get into a situation where. You know, someone just has a game plan. They're like, "Oh, I'm just gonna rock your backhand. You're not gonna do anything with it." And here we are, right? You're gonna give me a solid neutral ball, and I can, you know, run you around the court. That's not a situation he wants to be in. So, absolutely, they're sharpening it up. The only other stroke I'll really talk about, I think, um, and it's just sort of just, as you could say, maximizing his potential on it is the serve. He's a big guy. He already knows how to bomb a huge serve. He's just got to continue to improve that, keep his first percentage, uh, first serve percentage up nice and high, and get himself free holds. He's got to be one of the tour leaders in terms of holding over and over and over so that he yeah. can open himself up when it comes to the return game. Right? It, it's just a stylistic thing. He's a big guy. Obviously, you mentioned the movement. Sure, I'm not expecting or thinking he's going to go out there and be able to move like Djokovic, but he should be able to no, serve no. and hold much better than him. So you know that's that's sort of the difference, right? Berrettini has got to be able to hit huge serves um, and back it up. Yeah. So that's sort of my thing too, setting up him, setting himself up for success off that first stroke. And particularly, just getting a ton of first serves in and, and making his opponents miserable off that huge serve from the six-five man.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And and I think he improved that a lot throughout the course of last year as well. Um, you know, I noticed some improvements in that area. I think his serve is going to be fine. I'm, you know, when it when we're looking at him, to me, that's not anything that I worry about too too much.
0: Um, no, it's, it's it's less of a deficiency, more of like that's a good strength of his. Right. Okay, so how do we make how do we make your strength even yeah. stronger? Right. Cause yeah. that's what the best guys do. And right you know, like you said, yeah, like obviously it, it's hard to compare him. Like I said, with Djokovic, sure. You'd love to see him holding more than Djokovic, but I'm just saying from the serving standpoint, I want his serve to be as good as it can possibly be because it needs to be, because he's not going to be able to break like a Djokovic. Right. So right. Um, you got to be able to get those games from somewhere. So that's one thing I'm looking for. And Um, I have no reason to believe that he won't bring it in 2020 with a great serve. I just think that's a a super, super important element of his game if he's going to have success.
1: Yeah, no doubt, for sure. I agree.
0: Well, when we're talking 2020 then, last question is sort of the best case scenario and worst case scenario for him in 2020. Um, I, I mean, what are you thinking in terms of like, if you're thinking realistically, what's the best, what's the top peak point of Baratini's 2020? Where do you think he can go?
1: I mean, it's hard to say, right? Because he's eight. Look, he's eight in the world right now. So he doesn't – it's not like he can get that much higher. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know in, in next year in 2020 if he's going to be, you know, breaking into the top five. Um, I don't know if I see that. I mean, I'd say for him a, a success or kind of the ceiling for him would be just – consistently staying in the top 10 all year. If he can hover around that top 10 mark throughout the entire year that's going to be huge. If he can consistently make the quarters of slams, so top 8 in the slams, maybe sprinkle in a semifinal like he did at the US Open here and there, maybe one or two semifinals, um, you know that's going to be massive. And I just, for me, I'd consider that a a big time win. Um, And the good thing for Berrettini is he doesn't have a ton of points to defend in the beginning of the year. Um, You know, so if we look at that, he's got a real opportunity, you know, in January, February, even March to kind of build some points, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to keep that ranking up there hovering around number eight in the world. He's got an opportunity to do that. Now, as far as the floor, I mean... The lowest that I could see him going, you know, if, if he does come out again and he struggles, we don't see improvement out of the backhand. Um, you know, the movement's still kind of where it's at as one of his deficiencies. You know, I could see him falling out of the top 10, you know, more around that 20 range because there's a lot of other guys that are coming up, right? I mean, I'm sure within the next few weeks here, we're going to talk about him on the mini break, but yeah. there are other players that are, are rapidly improving. That are going to look to crack, you know, the top 15, top 10 in the world. So there's a chance if he doesn't bring it on a consistent basis, like you talked about, Jamie, you know, week in, week out, I mean, he can fall out of the top 10, out of the top 15, possibly even out of the top 20 um, if he's not careful. So I I think that is a possibility. I hope that doesn't happen, obviously, and I don't think it will. I think. I think he's going to be good enough, you know, to stick in that top fifteen range. Hopefully, in the top ten, that'd be phenomenal all year. Um, but that's kind of how I view it.
0: I think that's true. I think um, for me, if he's able to retain that top ten standing, a very successful year. Yes. Um, like I said, you know, similar to what you were saying, I don't know if he can crack that top five. There are some pretty difficult names you got to get past. You know, Sitsipas Medvedev, Teams Verev that you got to get past to get up there. I'm not well, saying it's and, out of the realm Novak, of possibility. Novak, Rafa, um, and
1: Roger, too. Well,
0: I'm saying them as locks for one, two, and three. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, even so. to get up into the top five, you pretty much got to get through uh, those other guys to to beat them out in terms of ranking. So right. very difficult task at hand. I would say I don't expect it. I would say a successful year, like I said, staying in the top ten, I would put that – I'm comfortable saying that's like a best-case scenario for him. Um, worst case, I think for me, goes down a little, a little further than you were having to put because – Man, when you look at some of the names that are currently in, like, the top 25, even top 30, man, there is some talent right now. On the ATP Tour, it is insane. Let me read you off some of the guys in between 10 and 25. Gael Monfils, Nishikori, Vavrinka, Hachinov, hour Isner, Dimitrov. I mean... There are so many people right now. You go outside of the top 25. You've got people like Kyrios at 30, Raonic at 31, Chilich at 39. I mean, you have people who are insanely talented right now who are undoubtedly going to be pushing back up into that top 25, in my opinion. Veritini's got a lot of competition, so if things aren't going well, realistically, I could see him falling out of the top 25. Now, I don't expect it to happen, and I think his level would have to decline, um, and he'd have to lose quite a bit of confidence for that to happen, but there's danger if he starts slipping. There's danger. There's dangerous people moving up in that range.
1: Yeah. No. I mean, I, I agree. I, I hear you, man. I mean, there really are. There's a ton of good players. It's just when I look at him overall, though, I still see his trajectory as going upwards. Like the arrows pointing up with him. So when I think about that. I'm not going to let myself, you know, get to the point where he's going to be out of the top 30. my mind, I'm not going to go there. Um, it, it, of course, it could happen, but I just think he's he's rapidly rising still. Like, his game is just only going to go forward. So, from yeah. that standpoint, what I would expect is for him to have another really good year where he's hovering around that top 10. I, I really think he can do it. I don't think he's going to win a slam or anything. I mean, let's get that straight. I, I will not project him to win a grand slam in 2020. Definitely not. Um, but I think he could consistently, you know, get to the quarters and then possibly push for, for the Final Four. And if he can do that, man, you know, that, just, that would be another year that he put after 2019 together where it's like okay i mean this guy's arrived he is he is officially a lock as one of the very best players in the world
0: yeah no i think i think that is very fair and of course i'm i'm rooting for him um, i'm in his camp you are definitely in his camp no doubt about that um No, I mean, I I couldn't agree with you more. I think he has a ton of potential, um, especially when we're looking into 2020. Hopefully his confidence in the psychological aspect of his game is really just building off of this year, right? Because there's no reason it shouldn't. He did a lot of things. He did some great things that he had never done before. Crazy exposure. He got some, you know he got some big match experience, even though they didn't go well, especially, you know, like Wimbledon U S open, for example, against, you know, Fed and a didn't go his way. Didn't go great. But now he got, he, that's, that's sort of off his back. He's done that. Right. So the next time he comes up to that stage, he's thinking, all right, I've done this before. It didn't go well, but I know what went wrong. Maybe get some of those pre-match nerves out of there. Right. So there's a tons there are a lot, a lot of things that he can take away from 2019 and look forward to. And, I must say, of course, that that is our last question. You saying the arrow is pointing up might be the best transition um, of all time for me to t- talk to you quickly um, about who is bringing our podcast today, and that, of course, is Arrow Bar, the only energy bar you will ever need on a tennis court. We've uh, got great flavors from chocolate chip to cinnamon honey oat, guaranteed great taste and phenomenal nutrition while you're at it. Um, listeners want to give you the chance right now. You can use the code Cracked Thirty and get thirty percent off your order from Arrow Bar. Um at arrowbar.com. So go ahead and check that out also want to give a, another shout out to the folks at Arrow Bar. They're making our holiday giveaway possible. Um, you have the chance to win a racket signed by John Isner. All you got to do is leave a five-star rating and review um, with your social media tag or email address on iTunes for any of our pods. So that's this one you're listening to right now, the Mini Break, Cracked Interviews, or the Great Shot podcast. Um, once again, thanks for Arrow Bar. Thanks to the folks at Arrow Bar for making that one possible. ton of fun, and of course, good to have a giveaway around the holiday time. So, um been a great pod been a great podcast with you man I mean this has been fun I love talking about Matteo Berrettini. I, I think this the new sort of player series to watch for 2020 is gonna be a lot of fun because it makes me remember a lot of things about these guys years that I previously wasn't thinking about
1: yeah Yeah, no doubt, man. I mean, this is a guy, you know, obviously, if you watch a lot of, you know, pro tennis, Berrettini, keep your eye on him. I mean, he is definitely a player to watch in 2020. He's fun, man. You know when he steps out there, you're going to see some rockets flying on the serve and forehand. So, he's fun, man.
0: For sure. Oh, man. I I mean, I feel like I could talk about Berrettini for a long time, but just watching his transition from from 2018 to 2019, now we're going 2019 to 2020 absolutely one of the big ones to watch so you know you and i probably just stole a really good player for 2020 from some other guys and and uh the likes of gruskin looking for players to watch for 2020 but i have full confidence that he'll be able to find some other players that he can chat about for yeah, 30 minutes don't I'm you not think worried
1: about him. <laughs> not worried about him
0: yeah i don't feel too guilty well anyway matt thank you once again for coming on uh with me it's been a pleasure what do we tell our listeners that's a break. all right and we'll catch you guys next time